Hello, hello. Welcome to At Home with the Intuitive Cook, the podcast giving a voice to everyday home cooks like you and me. Join me around the kitchen table as we chat about finding cooking ease and inspiration beyond rules and recipes and the noise of celebrity chef culture. It's not rocket science, it's just dinner. Welcome back at home. I'm Katerina Pavlakis, the intuitive cook, and joining me around the kitchen table today is Anne McCluskey. Anne lives in Devon and is a 3D coach, helping people find peace of mind no matter what they're going through. In our conversation, we reflect on simplicity, well-being and intuition, and we really zoom in on Anne's creative flavor explorations. Hello, Anne. Lovely to see you. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Katerina. One question I'd like to start the podcast with. Can you remember like a really early memory you have about food or about cooking? Yeah, I was born in Scotland and spent my first 10 years there. And my mother and grandmother were what I call traditional home cooks. It's very wholesome and I, I loved very thick soups with lots of vegetables. And at that time, I ate every sort of meat you could imagine and uh, lots of stews and mince and steaks and all sorts of things and lots of green vegetables. So I've been brought up with very, I would say, rooted food, if you like, of the land. And the quality of meat in Scotland was very good. So I've been used to traditional home cooking, nothing fancy. And that sort of stayed with me, really. The funny thing is my mother never really let my sister and me cook at home or learn how to cook. So I sort of learned for myself over the years, but I didn't mind not being asked to cook. It wasn't something the time or for many years was particularly something I enjoyed. I enjoyed eating it, but not cooking it myself. So how did you then eventually learn to cook? Was it like a step-by-step -step thing or was it like a day you decided, oh, I, I need to sort that out now? No, sort of step-by-step -step really, out of necessity. Because, you know, I had to cook at university when I left home and got married quite early. So uh, I did cooking in our sort of relationship. It was because I had to eat, really. And I've never eaten a lot of junk food. I've always eaten quite healthy, uh, just learning and very rarely followed many recipes. Some I would, but just gave things a go, really. Do you think that that upbringing with wholesome food, as you called it, did actually contribute to you sort of not being interested in junk food? Yeah, I think so. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the Scots are really big cake eaters as well. You know, uh, I would eat cakes and sweets and things in Scotland as well. But it was really very wholesome and healthy and a lot from the land. So yes, it was, it was something that stayed with me. I've always been quite conscious of a healthy life and keeping fit. So yeah, it's something was instilled at quite a young age, I think. Yeah, I think too, it sort of does really make a difference to our relationship with food, how we grow up. So, so when you were learning to cook, do you remember a sort of a light bulb moment, like when something, you know, made sense to you? I think it was just, it was mainly through experimenting and I wasn't very creative. It was sort of like meat and two veg, you know, and certainly making quite a lot of soups because that was what I was used to. 
Uh, I wasn't really wanting making cakes. It was just throwing things together without really thinking about it. Especially when I was working quite long hours and, you know, being in a, a marriage. It was just doing what I could quickly and my husband would help as well. Um, so it wasn't me on my own all the time. And I guess you're just were cooking because that's what one would do. Yeah, as you said, you, you're cooking because you have to eat. Or maybe now that's different. Has your sort of relationship with cooking changed now? Are you cooking sort of more intentionally perhaps? Yeah, I, I mean, I am now. I was working crazy hours for years and years, but we could think more about what I'm eating and what I can make. I do a lot of using up leftovers and I can actually say I quite enjoy cooking and, and I love when I surprise myself when it tastes really good. So how do you think your, your perspective has changed? Not feeling a need to follow any recipes. I've never done that very much, but I like this whole idea uh, of exploring and giving something a go. And I believe anything's possible. You can throw all sorts of things together, the most unlikely, you know, mixtures and ingredients, and it can always find a way of making it taste nice. And uh, it's just feeling that I'm controlling the cooking rather than a prescriptive recipe. You have to follow from start to finish. I don't like reading instructions anyway. Most things I try to, I try to experiment and play around with things and see if they work. So what are some of your favorite things you're eating or what are you eating today? I don't know about today, but I can tell you about last night and the night before. The night before last night, you buy those little uh, jars or containers of mixed beans for salad, you know, vinaigrette dressing. So I bought some of those. So I had those with a salad at lunchtime a day before yesterday. Then I thought, well, I've got some left. So I'll make rice with green vegetables and uh, some of those beans. I put all the beans in and green vegetables and it gave a lovely flavor to the rice. I put a stock cube in with the rice. So it was quite a nice flavor anyway. And then the vinaigrette gave it a nice bit of umami, I think you'd call it. I don't know if that's the right word. So the green vegetables, the rice and the beans were really lovely. And I'd made enough rice for it to last till the next day. So last night, I um, thought I might have a, the cold rice salad, but I didn't do that. I had some passata left over and I added the tomato passata into the rice and had it hot and added some mushrooms and onions. So that was a meal for last night. So I thought, oh, that would be quite nice with rice this evening hot. So I had some nice green vegetables. I thought I'll do green vegetables with rice and the beans. And it turned out to be really nice because the vinaigrette was a, a lovely umami flavor. And then yesterday night, I was going to have the leftover rice and beans with a cold salad, but I had some passata left over and I thought that should be quite nice hot with a tomato sauce. So I did that and I also added some um, mushrooms and onion and courgette. So that was another big meal. So I'm quite used to now using leftovers and actually just jazzing them up a bit in different ways. That's quite amazing. You got sort of three meals out of one pack of mixed beans. That reminds me of what food writer Tamar Adler says, who is very big on cooking with leftovers. Yes. And she 
she says, where one meal ends, the next meal starts. And she's coined this term of the everlasting meal. And it's like a forever loop of the endings of one meal bringing you into the beginnings of the next. So you, you seem to have that really kind of down to an arch. I like to just throw things together and I'm always pleasantly surprised when they taste better than I expect them to. Yeah, I don't like leaving things or throwing food away if I, if I can do something with it and use it. I'm much more inventive than I used to be and uh, well, actually much more confident than I was before to just trust my judgment and well, suspend my judgment really and just go for it because what's the worst that can happen? Well, exactly. What's the worst thing that can happen? And I find that, you know, usually the worst thing that happens is to have a bland meal. And, and it's the, the boldness to play with flavors that a lot of us are, are missing because this is usually the worst that can happen, that it just doesn't taste of very much. So being more bold with flavors gets you to those surprising flavors you were talking about. So, so what is your favorite thing to eat then? Gosh, that's an interesting one. I don't particularly have a favorite, really. I mean, the sort of things are my, my go-to. If I'm not feeling like eating very much, I tend to go to things like, you know, doing something with eggs, scrambled egg or uh, poached eggs. I, I love poached eggs, actually. They're probably my favorite eggs or omelette or frittata. But if my stomach's playing up, well, I've got a very sensitive constitution, so I will have mashed potatoes with cabbage or kale or a mixture and so a knob of butter and, and seasoning and things. And that really, again, it's very grounding, it's very rooted, and it just settles my, my stomach down. I have to be very careful what I eat. If I eat anything that doesn't agree with my system, it can throw me out for a couple of days. So I really am careful at, at eating what nourishes me and also is, is good for my constitution. But yeah, there are a few go-tos like that. And I eat fish. I don't eat meat, uh, but I eat fish. I like different types of fish, you know, smoked fish, place, uh, all sorts of things and, and cooking it in different ways. But, you know, things like kedgeree are lovely with, if I've smoked haddock, if I've some, if I have some leftover, I'll do kedgeree with nice rice and vegetables and egg in it. So yeah, there are a few things I like. There's not a, a standout, really. I would find it very difficult to choose one standout too, if you ask me that question. So I totally understand that. So how does cooking make you feel? I think you said satisfying because, you know, cooking isn't just about putting something in our mouths. Cooking has so many more dimensions, yeah. I find. Yeah, I mean, I, I particularly say that about making homemade soups and soups from my childhood in a way, food from my childhood takes me back to memories of my family who are no longer here. So yes, it, it evokes those uh, memories and, and emotions. And yeah, it's, it's just nice to follow on some of the old family cooking traditions that I was brought up with. If it feels nourishing, that's really good for me because I know that I'm doing good for my body and my mind. And I'm trying more to eat more slowly, to really be able to savor the flavors. It's much healthier for us to, to not rush food. And I'm also eating without any television on. So I make it, maybe sacred is the wrong word, but a special experience in my day. And do you find that helps you 
staying with the cooking as I know you're living alone. So you're cooking for one, basically. And and I find that for myself, I find that really difficult when when I'm on my own, when my husband is somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever had that problem because I've lived on my own for a very long time. And, you know, I, I feel for me, it's about caring for myself. I mean, I'm one of these people who went beyond burnout in corporate life because I put everyone else before me. And I, I felt I'm, re I'm reclaiming myself, my power, now that I don't have the constraints of corporate life. And to eat healthily and have, take the time to do it. So I take the time now to do a lot of things that nourish me that I didn't in the past when I was working crazy hours. So actually, I, I don't have routines in the day. I have rhythms, like healthy rhythms, natural rhythms. And eating's one of them. And actually now preparing food in the past year, I'm beginning to see the, the mindfulness in preparing food as well. So it's going to a whole different level for me. And I feel that I deserve the time and the space because I give a lot to other people. I still do. And I want to take that back for myself as well. Yeah, that's interesting that you mention mindfulness in the context of cooking, because I, I feel too that cooking is really time we can reclaim for ourselves. But obviously for a lot of people, this is, you know, cooking is a chore you, you're trying to get through as quickly as possible. But of course, your work as a coach is very kind of... Yes, it is. I help or encourage people I support through coaching to create those healthy patterns and rhythms for themselves in the day. And it could be a number of things that they find quite meditative, you know, reading, cooking, all sorts of things. It's not just sitting in meditation. So the whole thing about being in the slow lane rather than the fast lane and savoring those moments, savoring the now, you know, and I'll give you an example. Recently, I bought a whole load of fresh vegetables, peas and pods. I had to remove the peas from the pods and runner beans where I had to check the strings off them and a few things like that. And I thought, oh, this is going to take me a while. But actually, once I thought, well, actually, this is a really nice space to be preparing the vegetables in before I put them in the freezer. And I really enjoyed it. And the time passed as much quicker mm -hmm. than I thought I would. And uh, so I've got a lot of lovely green vegetables that I bought for the local farm in the village here and uh, now got them in the freezer. So the effort I put in to taking the peas out the pod and taking the strings off the runner beans, I can now just pop them in some hot water when I want to add them to something. Yeah, that's great to know that you have all that fresh produce kind of preserved and, and ready to use because, of course, produce is seasonal, so there is a lot of it now, but there won't be that much of it in a few months' time. That famous hungry gap that I only know about because now that we run this whole food shop and it's been a few years now that we sell vegetables. So now I'm also much more in tune with, with the seasonality of produce because when you work with an organic supplier who works directly with farms, you start realizing how, you know, the seasons come and go. And you also start noticing how at the beginning of the season, the produce is still quite small. And at the end of the season, it will tend to be kind of a bit struggling or go off really quickly. 
So for me, it took working in the shop and handling all these veg deliveries every week to get really to grips with how seasonal everything really is. Because when you just go to the supermarket, you don't really notice. Where I live, we have a number of lovely people who have a glut of vegetables that they can't eat all for themselves. So they leave them outside the houses for people to just pick up for free. And that's lovely. That's a, a real delight to be able to do that as well. Yeah. yeah, well, that sounds great, just to wander down the street and That's right. and find something that has been left out for yeah. whoever comes first. Yeah, that's really lovely. And now, my kitchen friends, it's time for a quick break to see what I've been cooking up for you. If you ever feel trapped by recipes or wish you could get more creative in your kitchen, I made a free mini-course. It's called Ditch the Recipes, and it's a short series of five emails that will help you get started on your intuitive cooking journey. Sign up on the website at theintuitivecook.co.uk slash free, or find the link in the show notes. And now, let's get back to our conversation. So, you know, I'm, I'm calling myself the intuitive cook. So what does, now that you've familiarized yourself with the concept for some time. Well, what does that really mean for you? What does well, intuitive cooking mean for you? Sort of like intuition for me is like, is well, it's literally inner tuition. So listening, listening to yourself from the inside, you know, so rather than being influenced by what's around you and outside of you, actually do what feels right for you. And intuition is inspired rather than intellect or intelligence. It's, uh, for me, it's about really listening and really listening to your mind and, and your body, observing and noticing what you feel is good for you and what would work for you. I think it's a very individual thing. For me, it's a lot about just giving it a go, being guided by what feels right to you. Never mind what anyone else says or what any chefs or recipe books say. Do what's right for you and what works for you. You were talking about your very sensitive constitution and that you're, you know, focusing on eating what is good for you. Have you figured that out as well by listening to your intuition and, and to your body? Yes, very much. Very much. I've become very sensitive to what my body's telling me and been guided by that. And I never get it wrong. I know the foods to avoid because they react badly with me. And I know what will nourish me, but also help heal whatever is out of harmony. That is a nice way of putting it, the two powers of food. There is the nourishment, but there is also the healing aspect of food, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think that's underestimated at times, how healing food can be. It's like being in nature. I mean, nature is very healing as well. And if you're eating what comes from nature, then it's creating that lovely harmony in our bodies. Yeah, and, and I think eating with the seasons, eating what is available seasonally and locally is also part of that living in harmony with nature. Yes, absolutely. Yes, very much so. Do you have any favorite tips you might share with others? I know this question is often surprising people because they don't consider themselves, you know, professional cooks enough to share tips. But what are your go-to ways to make something 
easy for you in the kitchen or more flavorful or whatever that might be? Yeah, well, definitely one of the things is I like to keep things very simple, you know, and you shared a lot with us about the one pot, using one pot. And it's amazing how much you can use one pot to create meals. And I think for me, that, that's very time saving. It saves electricity, energy costs. And it's just a great feeling where you can put loads of things in one pan or pot and it all just comes out, I would say perfectly, but you know, in, in a really satisfying way. But definitely for me, it's also about seeing what's in your cupboard, seeing what's in your fridge, mixing things up and about really just about playing with it. You know, just give it a go. You know, it's not going to do you any harm. Just throw things together and see what happens. And it's amazing how you can create some really nice dressings, for example. What, my favorite one, which I use all the time. I, I've experimented a bit with it recently. I added some ingredients that I've twitched a bit. So I love tamari and olive oil together for a salad dressing. Mm. And I thought I'd mix up a bit and add a tiny bit of mustard, like Dijon mustard, not strong mustard, and a little bit of honey. Anyway, it were tiny bits of honey and mustard, and I mixed it in with the tamari and the, the olive oil, and it was really too sweet. And I thought, oh my goodness, do I really want to eat this? I thought, okay, it's too sweet. You put a tiny bit of honey in. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll squeeze some lemon juice into it. And I did, and it made all the difference. It really lifted it. So I then felt that I, you know, that's something I could do, but just adding the lemon. And it tasted lovely when I sort of poured it over my salad. Yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? It's, for me, it's about tasting, Katerina. It's about tasting. It's about if it doesn't taste the way you really want it, maybe add something else into it. Yeah. And I needed the sharpness. It was with the honey because flavor in the end is all about balance isn't it and of course you know you can keep yeah. tweaking until you find that balance between the sweet and the salty and the sour and the creamy and and whatever else you you might have in there that is a great example of finding the balance and also of not being discouraged as you said you know you taste it and then you think oh that doesn't taste right at all that doesn't mean that you can't tweak it so that it turns out really nice so, you know, I think a lot of people maybe get discouraged by thinking, oh, this doesn't taste right and drop the towel there. Yeah. Yeah. And I was determined because I love the tamari and the olive oil so much. I was determined to use it. And I thought, what can lift, take away the, too much sweetness? I thought, oh, I'll put some lemon juice in it. And it was, it was lovely then. And in the end, this all kind of comes down to common sense and, and to tasting, as you said, because once you you understand this concept of balance, it's not that far-fetched of an idea to think, well, when it is too sweet, I might want to go to, you know, in the opposite direction to balance it out. Yeah. You know, not being afraid to sort of adapt what, what you've got as a sort of core essence is there. I've learned very much not to use too much fresh garlic. One of my favorite meals, I have to say, is cannelloni, spinach and ricotta cannelloni. And I had only had it outside, really. I hadn't made it for myself. And uh, I didn't have the rolls of cannelloni. I just thought, oh, I use pasta and the tomato sauce, and I've got some ricotta cheese. And I added garlic to it, and the garlic was too overpowering. 
And of course, the garlic hadn't cooked enough when I just added it into the pan of the pasta and the tomato sauce. And it was pretty disgusting. And I remember talking to you and you said, oh, you probably used too much garlic. And I hadn't realized that it would taste that strong. It's not so bad if it tastes strong if it's cooked, but the garlic wasn't cooked. So it was like eating raw bits of the garlic bulb and the cold ricotta cheese. So that was a big learning for me. <laughs> yeah, it's another example of not not being discouraged, but just thinking, okay, what, what went wrong here? So next time I can do it better. So again, it's it's that yeah. that openness to rather than feeling discouraged to just look at it and, and try to learn something from it. Yeah. And the other thing that, that was a real eye-opener for me when we were talking about some of these things was deconstructing food because I would never have thought about when I think about the sort of cannelloni, I've never made it at home because I thought, I have no idea how to get those rolls of pasta and, and put the ingredients in them. So I never bothered trying because I always had this in my mindset about it has to look like this. But then when I spoke to you, you said, well, it, you can just use any pasta. Why don't you try it like that? And it, was, it seems really obvious, but it's interesting how we enter those mindsets about how food is served in restaurants. So I thought, God, of course, I can just use my normal pasta. I don't have to have those rolls. And that was a real light bulb for me. Yeah. That you can just deconstruct something you've had outside and you've still got the same ingredients. Well, exactly. To think of food more like in flavors and in components rather than in ready-made dishes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I have done. Yeah. But that deconstruction, that was a real light bulb for me. I loved that. All this conversation about you know being playful it reminds me of, of a quote I, I read yesterday. And it's from that book of Rick Rubin, who is a very famous music producer. And he's written this book about creativity. And I mean, he talks a lot about music, but generally about art and how playfulness can produce the best pieces of art. And he talks about taking art seriously but not going about it in a very serious way. That is not exactly his words, but no. I'm paraphrasing. So I, I thought that also applies to cooking because you have to take cooking seriously in the sense of that you consider it important in your day and that you consider it important to nourish yourself. But it's not about trying to be very serious the way you cook you know you don't have to stick to anything preconceived you can play and that is where the most fun is yeah i completely agree with that yes so maybe maybe that little point of playfulness is a good place to finish our conversation thank you so much Anne, for taking the time to have a chat with me and share your kitchen stories no pleasure i enjoyed it Thanks for joining us for this episode of At Home with the Intuitive Cook. Check out the show notes for links and tasty morsels. And remember, fresh episodes are served up every other Friday. Subscribe to stay tuned and keep exploring the joys of everyday cooking. Until next time, stay curious, trust your taste and don't forget, it's not rocket science, it's just dinner. <laughs>